0: I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. Uh, But as we looked at last week, the the passage uh, in view really goes uh, from verse 14. So I'm going to read uh, this morning Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 14 to 28. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the man spoke. And the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, then by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he comes and attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean, person has gone, unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the word of our Lord. May he write its inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word upon our hearts this morning. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you that through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we can call you Father. Lord, we were once rebels. We were once following after the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. But God, you have made us the op the objects of your grace. You have set your love upon us in Christ Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have defeated all of our foes, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Lord, we know that the last enemy to be defeated is death. and You have defeated that too already by laying your life down and taking it up again as a sacrifice for our sins. Lord and as your as we are as you're raised for our justification. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you and we ask, Lord, that you would help us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit to behold the victory that you have won for us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in that victory. Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be hearers of your word and doers of your word for the glory of your name. And so that you will that in so doing we will prove that our house has indeed been blessed by you. Lord, we pray if there are those who are hearing my words, may they not hear them as the words of man, but may they hear your word. May they hear the truths of your word and may they respond through the power of your Holy Spirit in repentance and faith and may there be new life in Jesus Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I am woefully inadequate for this task. I am insufficient. But Lord God, you are sufficient. Your Holy Spirit is sufficient. Work in hearts, I pray, for the glory of Your name, for the advance of the gospel, for the expansion of Your kingdom. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. Well, last week we saw the increase in hostility towards Jesus as the crowds joined, joined the religious authorities in attacking him. And the bitter irony is that these individuals were entering into conflict with Jesus as Jesus was engaged in conflict with the demonic forces. These people in their attack against Jesus were actually siding with the demons that Jesus was in the process of casting out. and They even thought that they were serving God. These people were choosing Satan instead of God. We know that there are only two sides in this conflict. God's side and the devil's side. And Jesus Christ is the dividing line. Those who are against Jesus are cursed. But those who are with him are blessed. But how do you know whether you are with Jesus? How do you know whether you are on Jesus' side? A lot of people say that they are with Jesus. A lot of people claim Jesus as their Savior. But what is the reality? Again, as we discussed last week, there are not just two kinds of people, but these two kinds of people are really two kinds of houses, so to speak. Remember last week we looked at, at a house divided and a house plundered from Luke eleven, fourteen to twenty three. Well this week we're continuing that theme as we as we look now at verses twenty four to twenty eight. We'll see a house possessed and a house blessed. So then a house divided, a house plundered, a house possessed, and a house blessed. When Jesus cast the mute demon out of the man, some in the crowd slandered Jesus and blasphemed the Holy Spirit by saying that he had cast the demon out of the man through the power of Beelzebul. Jesus responded by showing them just how absurd their charge was, explaining that if if Satan is divided against himself, then his kingdom will not stand, verse 18. Satan will never attack himself. He only attacks, he and his minions only attack the forces of good. Well, another section of the crowd we we talked about last week were those that, that demanded a sign. They demanded that Jesus show them a sign from heaven. They kept on demanding that Jesus would show them a sign from heaven. As if casting a demon wasn't enough of a sign. But Jesus declared that his Triumph against the forces of darkness was indeed a sign that heaven had come upon them. He's going to continue as we will see next week. He's going to continue to answer that charge in verses twenty nine to thirty two. Satan's house was not divided, but it was plundered. As the strong man of verse twenty two was overcome, and his captives liberated by Jesus Christ, the stronger one. But some don't want to be liberated. They want to go back to the master that once enslaved them. They they want to be a house-possessed or a house-repossessed. But others, however, by God's grace, will choose to truly follow Jesus, and it is only they who will be indeed a house-possessed. Blessed. So then, let's look at verses 24 to 26. A house possessed. Verse 24 begins, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. Now, when I had first read that passage and read it many times, I had assumed that Jesus had attacked and overcome the strong man that Jesus had evicted him. Casting the devil out of the house. That Jesus had exercised the demon. Well, now I don't think so. Look more carefully at the verse. At the rest of the verse. It says, And finding none, it, the demon says, I will return to my house from which I came. Whose house is it? The demon says, I will return to my house. The demon still regards the house as its own. If it was Jesus who had cast out the demon, then the house would be dispossessed of the demon and possessed by Jesus Christ. It appears as though the house was dispossessed, and then repossessed. However, the house had never left the possession of the demon at all. It remained a house possessed. So the demon decides to go back home. And when it gets there, it finds the house swept and put in order. There's a a fresh coat of white paint on the outside. The, The walls have been patched up. The, the festering piles of maggot infested garbage have been cleared away. The, the house has been cleaned up. It's been renovated. My brother and sister in law just had to, t- t- have, uh, tenants had moved out of the house that they have in Oregon, and there was, they had to clean up piles of, of garbage that these people had just dumped and, and burned some of it. It all didn't burn. They found, I'm not exaggerating here, they found. Piles of horse and cow carcasses in the garden that the people had wanted to make, for whatever reason, art out of dead horses and cows. And they spent a week having to clean up this house. It takes work to renovate a house, but, but, but you could do that. You can, you can clear away the garbage. You, you can renovate the house. It's easy to, to do a, just a, a quick job and to, to renovate the house so that it looks good on the outside, but it's really a disaster waiting to happen. I, I used to watch the, the show Homes on Homes. You, you might know the show. Mike, Mike Holmes, the star, would, would go into a house where some dodgy contractor had supposedly fixed up the house, but he made a royal mess of the renovation. And then he just covered it up to make it look good. And then a distraught family would then contact the the producers of the show and and they would send Mike Holmes to to come in and uncover the problem and to to fix it properly. I I found the the show really interesting and and quite scary when you think of some of the things that that pass itself off as renovations. But some people are like that dodgy contractor. They'll, They'll just patch up the home and merely cover up the problem instead of actually dealing with it. Many people are like that. Jump down to to uh, Luke eleven verse thirty-seven. Here the, in this passage, we see we see Jesus invited to dinner by a Pharisee, and the Pharisee it seems has has really just invited Jesus to dinner in order to find fault with him. It's probably not good for the digestion. But this Pharisee was shocked to see, verse thirty-eight, that Jesus did not wash before dinner. And then in verse 39, Jesus reveals the heart of the matter. He says, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Many people clean the outside of the dish while the inside is still filthy. The the house might have looked good on the outside or even under a, a cursory home inspection. The house was really a whitewashed tomb which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness, Matthew 23, 27. The the skeletons, so to speak, are merely put back in the closet. The, The piles of garbage are just shoveled into the basement and sprayed with several cans of Febreze. But the filth is still there. It's just hidden and perfumed it's hidden by morality it's perfumed by religion but it's still there matthew in a par- in the parallel account adds an important detail you, you see if you can catch it matthew 12:44 and when it the, the demon comes it finds the house empty swept and put in order the house is empty the house is still possessed but the house is vacant. It is spiritually vacant. A human house will always be filled with something. In a spiritual vacuum, something will move back in. And this time, the demon does not come alone. It brings its fiendish friends, seven of them, in fact, seven others more evil than itself. And they move into the house and they dwell there. They they settle down. The, The sense is that they are there for the long haul the house, the person is worse off than before, much worse than before. Because the demons that come bring more insidious, more ensnaring, and more sinister sins with them. But of course, this doesn't just apply to demon possession. Demon possession, so far as we can tell, is rare, thankfully, in our culture. But the principle that Jesus is teaching here can be applied to sin more generally. And I've seen this happen often, where where people clean up their lives of some particularly visible areas of sin for a time. But then other sins, like hidden reefs, are there just below the surface. And when the tide comes out, they'll be seen. But for that that time there, they're, they're hidden waiting to shipwreck the soul. And I saw this happen often when I was, I was quite involved with Narcotics Anonymous. Practicing the 12 steps and working the program can really help someone overcome drug abuse. However, the 12 steps and the program are woefully inadequate to help people deal with the underlying problems that caused the sin in the first place. People don't need help from the, the God of their understanding. They need the God of the Bible. And the result is that people who are, are no longer in an active addiction to drugs are now eagerly pursuing immorality and gambling and a host of other wicked pursuits. I've said this before, but it's it's like a, a deadly game of whack-a-mole. You know whack-a-mole, the, the game that you find, you used to find at video arcades where that you, you put your quarter in and the, the moles pop up you have to hit them with a hammer and, and they and they keep coming faster and faster and faster and, and you don't win this game. There's no winning at whack-a-mole. They just keep on coming. But these aren't cute little electronic moles but they are life-destroying sins. But it isn't just an I've seen it in church too. I, I've seen people who for a time Overcame very prominent patterns of sin in their life. They they appeared for a time to be truly Christian. They had experienced victory over certain sins, but they remained unconverted. Now these people are in a very dangerous situation. More dangerous, in fact, than the people who are actually still pursuing the act of sin. Because they have experienced God's work, but they have failed to respond to him they're like the 10 lepers or 9 of the 10 lepers in Luke 17 who after Jesus healed them they all walked away except for one there was only one that returned to thank Jesus and praise God and, and so these people and i've seen this happen many times they have enjoyed the benefits of church body life Hebrews 6 verses 4 to 6 gives a dire warning for it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now maybe you haven't been overcome by drug addiction. But have you traded some besetting sin for a host of others? Never think that by stopping one sin, only replace it with many others is the same thing as salvation. Stopping sin alone is, an a sin alone is not salvation. In other cases, I've seen people clean up their lives so that they now become respectable. I've seen that with with people that I've witnessed to. They've come to a point where they've realized that they need to make a change, but only a few have genuinely turned to Christ in repentance and faith. And, and the, so the sins that, that now infect that person are, are more wicked, but also more subtle. Now by the superficial and, and changing standards of our culture, the house looks pretty good. Neighbors walking by wouldn't, wouldn't point the finger and, and gasp at the state of the house. Now those closest to them might get a better look. They might know know better what's going on. Family and friends who are are coming inside the house might get a better picture. This person is far from good, but good from afar. And this person is is in grave danger because these sins are so deceptive that they even deceive the person. They deceive the occupant of the house. The occupant here refers not to the owner of the house. It's the demons who really possess the house the demons own that house every bit as much as the house who is, that that is demon possessed. Remember the demon said it's my house but with sin deception comes self-deception and, and what makes this pretense of morality even more dangerous is that it, again it blinds people to their own sin and, and because their seared conscience is not guided by scripture it's blocked. They're like the leper whose nerve endings have been so destroyed by the disease that they don't feel pain. A leper can cut themselves or burn themselves and feel nothing. And left untreated, infection sets in and their bodies begin to literally rot and they don't feel a thing. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that moral reformation is the same thing as salvation. Now, there are many reasons why someone will outwardly reform their life. Thomas Watson provides helpful insights in his excellent book, The Doctrine of Repentance. You you really need to read this book. Watson outlines two key reasons. There's others, but two key reasons why someone will leave off a particular sin. One, because the sin is painful. For example, the, the drug addict quits because of the problems that drug ha- drugs have inflicted on his or her life. So because sin is painful. And the second is similar. It's because of the fear of death and hell. This, this person hears a, a fire and brimstone sermon. I'm not against fire and brimstone sermons. They hear a fire and brimstone sermon and they get scared straight. No one wants to go to hell. But in both cases what is motivating their decision to stop that particular sin? It's self-protection. It's self-protection. It has nothing to do with Jesus. They don't want the present or the future consequences of their sin. And so they stop. Self-protection can be a powerful motivator. Yet again, it is not necessarily evidence of salvation. Listen again to Watson. Self-love raises a sickbed vow. And love of sin will prevail against it we do not trust to a do not trust to a passionate resolution it is raised in a storm and it will die in a calm so what's missing in the case of those who stop particular sins in order to, in order to avoid present or future consequences repentance repentance is missing you can stop sinning in a particular way, but not be repentant. Thomas Watson defines repentance as a grace of God's spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. Yes, concern over present and future consequences can be part of the process of coming to Christ. But what else is missing? That person is motivated solely by self-protection. Christ. Christ is missing. They lack faith, so they lack Christ. But the one who's truly penitent, even though they may be motivated initially by fear of the consequences of sin, begins to see that their sin is committed against the holy God. So they cry out with David from Psalm 53, verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that the truly penitent person realizes that, that his or her sins have crucified Christ. And so they flee to the Christ that they crucified for their forgiveness. Friends, please listen carefully. What you need is not getting your act together. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need a new year's resolution. You don't need a little religion. What you need is not tidying up. It's not about ethical housekeeping. It's not even about a moral renovation. What your house needs is to be rebuilt from the ground up. It needs a new foundation. It needs a new foundation that is built on Jesus Christ and his word. and needs a new heart. What's needed is a new owner. What's needed is for you to be born again. Christ needs to move in through the power of the Holy Spirit. like. Paul prays in Ephesians 3, 16, 17 that that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You need to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We spoke about this a couple weeks ago. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is no conversion. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is no sanctification. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, There is no glorification. Without the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, your empty house will be repossessed by its real owners. However, if you truly turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, he will set you free. That does not mean you will be perfect. That does not mean you'll be sinless. You will still see sin ruining its ugly head in your life. But you will, by God's grace, confess your sin to God, trusting that he is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And John 8:36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There are only two types of people in the world. Those who are with Jesus and those who are against Jesus. Those who have been liberated by Jesus and those who are have not been liberated by Jesus and are still under the dominion of the evil one. There's a great danger in leaving your spiritual house vacant, devoid of all the protecting power of the presence of God through faith. So we've seen then what happened to a house possessed. Now with the time that we have left, let's look at my final point. Verses 27 and 28. A house blessed. Verse 27. As Jesus was teaching this, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. A mother is valued for the accomplishments of her son. The the same is often true today. Parents of admirable children are often held in, in high esteem. In this case, the offspring in view has just cast out a demon. And the offspring in view has just taught powerfully from the word of God. And so this woman blesses Jesus' mother. And in so doing, she seeks to bless Jesus. She's declaring how marvelous it must be to have a son like Jesus. I can only imagine. But but think about the moral courage for her to shout this out like that. Not only was this a a woman in a misogynistic culture where women, women just didn't do that sort of thing, but the air was thick with the rejection of Jesus. But she doesn't care what others think. She wants to proclaim what she thinks about Jesus. And so she offers a different response from the majority. And and so her response stands in stark contrast to the hostility, the slander, and the blasphemy that we've heard from the crowd. It's a positive response to what Jesus has said, and it's a positive response to Jesus. It's even likely an acknowledgement that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. But... And I need to be emphatic emphatic about this. This is not the veneration of Mary as the Roman Catholics teach. It's true that when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, came to her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, Elizabeth prophesied, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Luke 1.42 And Mary will will concur in her magnificat. In verse 48, For behold, from now on all generations will will call me blessed. So Mary is indeed blessed for this this superlative privilege. But this does not mean in any way, shape, or form that Mary was sinless. Or that she was conceived herself without sin. Even less does this mean that we are to pray to Mary, let alone to worship Mary. So Jesus responds to the woman in verse 28. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, the word that's translated rather here doesn't mean that the woman is wrong, but it emphasizes the statement that follows. Jesus is acknowledging that the woman is right, but but there's, there's more that needs to be said. Mary is blessed. But it was a far greater blessing for Mary to have Christ dwelling in her heart than it was to have Christ dwelling in her womb. Mary was blessed not because she had housed the Son in her womb, but because of her faith in the Son. Is Jesus Christ dwelling in your heart? Then you are just as blessed as Mary. Now, you're not blessed in the same way as, as Mary under, in that specific incident of her, of her burying the incarnate Christ in her, in her womb for nine months. But you are just as blessed as her. You are blessed in the same greater way that Mary is blessed. Mary is blessed. But she is no more a saint than any other Christian who is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Mary is not blessed with salvation for having housed Jesus in her womb any more than the children of a Christian mother are blessed with salvation by being housed in the womb of a Christian. There are many blessings for the children of Christian parents and for the parents of Christian children. But salvation is not hereditary. It is not biological. It is spiritual. And it only comes through personal faith in Jesus Christ, not the faith of your parents and not the faith of your children, even if your child is Jesus Christ, the object of saving faith. Salvation does not come from sharing your mother's blood, but through Christ's blood shed for you. So how can you know? How can you know if you are blessed like Mary? How can you know if you are truly saved? How can you know if Christ is truly dwelling in your hearts? Again, the issue is response. Remember what we heard back in Luke 8.21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who reject revelation are in grave danger. We'll see that again in verses 29 to 32, Lord willing. Now accepting revelation does not just mean hearing the word of God. You can listen to sermons all day but still reject God's word. You can read the Bible all day but still reject God's word. It is only those who hear the word of God and do the word of God that are truly blessed. Please turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. Again, the the absurdity of somebody looking at their face in the mirror and then, and then walking away and forgetting what they look like is paralleled, and it's even, even more absurd that someone would, would, who would claim to be a Christian would look to the word of God. And completely reject it. A person who lives in habitual rejection of the word of God cannot claim to be a Christian. Well, let's go to 1 John. 1 John where we see these these tests of how to know whether whether we are truly in the faith. One of the the clear tests in 1 John that, that the apostle lays down for us is the obedience test. 1 John Two, four to six. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The commandments for the Christian help us to see God's will. And they help us to see God's God's moral requirements for us. And so those who are, are truly saved, who have had their hearts regenerated through the work of the Holy Spirit, once hated God and hated God's law, now love God and love God's law and seek to obey God's law, not out of a way to earn their salvation, but out of gratitude for the salvation that's been earned for them by Jesus Christ. We recently heard with the parable of the so-called Good Samaritan or Mary versus Martha and the model prayer what is what is required of disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ must be attentive. They must be obedient to God's word. Now, brothers and sisters, you are hearing the word of God and Keeping it. Now we know that none of us is doing this perfectly. We know that even at this moment, you, you you might be feeling conviction over particular areas of sin. But are you walking in repentance? Are you confessing that sin to God? Are you asking His forgiveness? Are you trusting that He will cleanse you from unrighteousness? Is your faith in the one who did keep the word of God perfectly. Are, are you looking to Him, trusting Him? Trusting that, that that when you fall, that that the grace of God is sufficient for you. That Jesus Christ indeed died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. That you're continuing to, to turn to Him in repentance and in faith. That's what it means for us as Christians to be a hearer and a doer of God's word. We'll close with the, the two houses of Jesus' parable in Luke 6, 46-49 that I began with last week. In response to, to Jesus outlines the question, it outlines the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He goes on to explain how one man heard his word and obeyed him and the other heard his word but did not obey him. And the, the first man, we're told, had built his house on the rock, but the, the other man had built his house on sand. And so when the storm came, the man whose house was built on sand fell, and great was the fall of it. We all face storms. We're facing storms even at this very moment. E- even as as COVID-19 has a particular particular set of of circumstances and storms that that make things difficult for you. This is a a storm. There's a big storm. The big storm is the final judgment. And every house on the planet face that storm. Will your house stand? Will your house stand? Will your house not just stand, but be blessed through that storm? Blessed with the words of Jesus Christ, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because your faith in him and because of the imputation of his righteousness to you. Will your house stand? Will your house be blessed? Jesus Christ is the dividing line between those who are blessed and those who are cursed. Will you enter by repentance and faith to the eternal blessing of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for this great salvation that you have purchased for us by your blood. Lord Jesus, as you came into the world to fully obey all of the commands of God, to perfectly love your Father in heaven and to perfectly love your neighbor as yourself, Lord, we confess that we have not done this. Lord, we've only been up for a few hours. Many of us have already, we all have broken your commandments in many ways already. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look to you. Lord, to walk in repentance and faith. Lord, may our hearts be transformed by, and our minds be transformed by by the word of God that we be conformed to the image of Christ, the power of your Holy Spirit that we would increasingly be not just hearers but doers also for the glory of your name for the advance of your kingdom and out of obedience to your holy will.